Thank you for joining us for another episode of Thinking Historically About, and we're continuing in our mini-series where we think historically about the state of social studies education. And in each of these six episodes, we're talking with a leader in the social studies education space and pouring into different insights from the data around Thinking Nation's white paper, a second class subject, why social studies gets short shrift in U.S. middle and high schools. I'm really excited about this episode where I get to speak with Andrea Foggy Paxton, who is really such a pillar in the social studies education space um, in her work with on the board of iCivics, uh, on the board of the Los Angeles County Board of Education, in her leadership role in the organization Education Leaders of Color, and the specific organization she founded, Social Studies Accelerator, which is really looking at getting quality social studies resources and professional development into the hands of districts who need them. So with that, let's dive straight into the episode. Welcome to Thinking Nation's series, Thinking Historically About, and I'm excited to continue in the series of Thinking Historically About the State of Social Studies Education with Andrea Foggy Paxton, uh, who is the entrepreneur in residence and founder of the Social Studies Accelerator at Education Leaders of Color. And she also sits on the board of directors for the Los Angeles County Board of Education, really bringing a wealth of knowledge, experience, and insights to the conversation. And I'm really excited to hear more about uh, what she does in relation to social studies education and um, her insights to better social studies education for the future. So, Andrea, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Zach. Glad to be here. Uh, thanks. Yeah. It, to start, if you could share a little bit more about um, education leaders of color and kind of what what entrepreneur in residence means and how that looks with the social studies accelerator. Absolutely. EDLOC um, is a member based organization that really is focused on ending generational poverty. And there's a couple of strategies that are important to that. Obviously, education is a key lever to ending generational poverty, but we also look at policies that support that work as well as kind of cross-sector collaboration. Um, we can't solve education just with education educators alone. We actually need a number of actors and players in um, the public arena to support that, um, which is why I think being on the LA County School Board plays such an important role for my understanding and for my own impact um, related to this work. Um, Entrepreneur Residence is a, is, is a fun title because it basically allows me to focus on the work that I care most about. Um, the first year that I spent um, at Edlock, I was supporting members in their career paths, building off a lot of the work that I did at the Broad Center previously. Um, but it also allowed me to launch this initiative. Um, I was able to raise the funds from the Schusterman Family Philanthropies, Hewlett and Kellogg Foundations to support the Social Studies Accelerator, which is really designed to solve an issue that I think you both, we both care about, which is how do we make um, social studies an important part of our K-12 education? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's funny, I feel like I've been, I mean, I'm new, I'm much newer to the space than you are, but trying to navigate it and 
fortunately ran into you uh, at an event at the Reagan Library, uh, which was, uh, I think, very serendipitous and exciting to to learn more about what you do and really just like the stalwart you are for this work. Um, and so, give, I mean, given your experience, um, what do you see as the state of social studies education? How are you seeing that now? It's very broken right now um, for many reasons. Um, you know, we kind of touched on this around like it's not being a tested subject. Um, yeah. The political environment around um, social studies topics, you know, ban on books that are often associated with social studies or the anti-CRT movement that often is, you know, pointing to particularly mom- moments of marginalized um, communities histories not being included or not being accurately told. So I think um, our social studies departments have not been invested in the same way as other subjects. Um, they're not treated equally and um, that is going to have a long-term impact for our students if it's not corrected. I mean I think we're trying to prepare students for the future and that means everything from you know being able to solve, all types of problems, but mostly people problems, which is a large part of what social studies is about, is helping young people build those critical thinking skills and those tools to solve the everyday problems that they're going to be faced with in life. So Andrea, as you know, this particular mini-series is, is, of podcasts is guided by this white paper that we commissioned through EdWeek recently on the state of social studies education. But I'm curious from, in, in your read of it, what was there, was there a particular data point that stood out to you? Yeah, you know, the impact on professional development, it was an area that um, I was drawn to, um, mm-hmm. especially given what the data from the teachers were saying around what's sufficient versus you know, I should say most of the professional development is insufficient for social studies teachers, which is not surprising. Um, I launched an innovative professional development portfolio when I was at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So I spent about three years really diving deep into professional development and trying to understand how to get to quality professional development across all subjects. So it doesn't surprise me here. But sure. what did surprise me was the inquiry-based instruction, right? Yeah. Which is a direct reflection of the lack of professional development that's sufficient for social studies teacher and the lack of implementation of inquiry-based instruction. When we know the power of it for student engagement, for interdisciplinary learning, um, but especially given the context of what you're trying to teach in social studies. So that probably was the biggest surprise is the um, lack of implementation. And really what I think it is, is a lack of preparedness of being able to leverage that as a a daily strategy. yeah, at least daily, 10%. 10% yeah. of social studies teachers, right? So then yeah. I'm like, what are they doing? Worksheets? Yeah, no, I was I was definitely surprised when I first started creating the resources for Thinking Nation. Um, my like thought was like, you know, I'm creating something that I know we all want to use. It just haven't hasn't been streamlined in a helpful way. Um, but then as I started leading more and more professional developments, you know, there were so many teachers who just were completely unfamiliar with the approach. Um, so, you know, to your point, I think it, it does definitely stem from that lack of professional development. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, like, if we think about it, you know, the, the discipline of history, for example, it's, 
it, it, it doesn't exist without inquiry, right? Like that, that is the foundation and the root. And there seems to be a clear disconnect of what's going on in the day-to-day, you know, subject area of history in the secondary level versus what's expected from the discipline um, at the, the university level. Uh, I was I was just as surprised, um, but I'm I'm hoping that you know we we know that this is not only what's going to make our students you know stronger academically, but it's what's going mm-hmm. to cultivate the skills they need to, to to be good people, right? Like the yeah. the tools of inquiry in understanding people, for instance, from a time and place not like our own directly impacts how we understand people in a time and place that is our own. And, yeah. you know, th- I hope that the, the growing emphasis around inquiry-based instruction leads to the results that I think democracy is craving and needs. Yeah. You know, the one thing I will say is I was actually surprised that a number of teachers cited that they didn't have enough time to do inquiry-based um, right. instruction during what is their what is their um, school schedule, right? And so I wonder, you know, to what extent is that again um, something that could be broken down in a much more manageable way for teachers, given that most of them are forty five minute period, fifty five minute period, um, and there is a lot of work that you have to do on the front end to support students in inquiry based learning, but. I also feel like there's this opportunity to collaborate across subject areas, right? Um, I was at a really great school visit as a LACO board member, iPoly High School, which is on the campus of um, Cal Poly Pomona. And they are a project-based learning school. And so there's a lot of cross collaboration between departments because the projects are touching upon multiple subjects, right? And so I'm wondering to what extent you believe that, you know, those type of collaborations, I, I'm not saying every school needs to convert to project-based learning, but I do believe there are strength in cross-departmental collaboration and thinking about how students are learning um, across math, English language, arts, STEM, and social studies in a more integrated, interdisciplinary approach. Yeah, I mean, I think about my time in the classroom and... Uh... I, I I fortunately had a really great relationship with my science and ELA counterpart. And like every spring we would um, kind of try teach the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. And obviously I would bring in the historical context and understanding that, you know, his own story within that context. And then, you know, Douglas is, is such a literary giant that the English teacher had so much to work with. And then our science teacher got so much, or had so much creativity in bringing in kind of the, the context of how we think scientifically through the system of slavery and um, the economy of slavery and um, the students, like they, they came out of it asking more questions, right? And uh, to me, that's like the greatest sign of a uh, good inquiry. Right. Um, and it was such an uh, exciting moment that showed the benefit of this interdisciplinary collaboration. And I would argue, you know, the, I, my, my kind of push is we often hear teachers say like, well, how do I incorporate more inquiry or more historical thinking into my classroom? And I would push us to think about it like the exact opposite, right? Like I teach a class on inquiry and I teach historical thinking 
Now, how do I embed the content that my grade level is demands effectively into this approach? And I feel like if we have that, and I call it a paradigm shift, if we had that paradigm shift, um, now whether we had 10 minutes or we had a block schedule of you know 90 minutes, our fundamental goal at the end of the period is that students are engaging in rigorous questions. And now we're just trying to think of how do we put the content into that rather, you know, rather than what I feel like most of us are trying to do is like, shoot, I need to like create more, you know, driving questions and, um, and, and really flip the script. And I think that that paradigm shift, that way that we see our classroom has to change if we one want more interdisciplinary collaboration, but but also I think more important to the future of social studies education is to build a discipline that can can really equip the the young citizenry to to you know sustain democracy. I love that. We'll see. We'll we'll hope. I mean, I know we're we're all pushing for for more of that. Um, so the the, the easy question. Um, it, you know, this this podcast is called Thinking Historically About. Um, you wear quite a bit of hats in social studies education and education more broadly. But I'm curious, given kind of what your day to day looks like, how do you think historically about the state of social studies education? Um, Historically, mm. well, you know, we have had the same kind of baseline um, narrative around our history and how it should be taught for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And um, social entrepreneurs like yourself are um, really disrupting kind of the traditional approach of like, here's a set of facts and information that need to be taught. You know, the C3 framework, I think sets a great pathway yeah. towards the future of what social studies need to be. And then, you know, historically, I think there has been a lot of creativity um, in social studies. And, and, you know, in preparation for this conversation, I thought about my most powerful social studies classes were teachers who were super passionate and cared about the art of teaching students about different perspectives. Right. Um, in sixth grade, we were studying world civilization and a part of world civilization is religion. And we yeah. went and visited different um religious establishment. I don't know how else to say it, right? Sure. We went to yeah. a Buddhist temple, Greek Orthodox. I mean, like the very spectrum to understand how dogma plays such an important role in governance and rules and how society governs itself. That was sixth grade. And we know yeah. that's a long, 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 long time ago. I mean, decades <laughs> ago. And I just, I think about um, how we have not really built on kind of the greatness of social studies teachers that do that yeah. type of work in a more scaled um, way. And so yeah. for me, historically, um, social studies has not had the same attention and love and care as other subjects. I mean, you think about STEM and the big move uh, for science, um, technology, that historically it, it, it needs to have more prominence in the importance of our 
education system, but our society. And I don't think it has when I think about the history of social studies. It's almost like, oh, we have to cover this from a compliance standpoint because there are standards or because, you know, we we have to teach our students about our country and the origin of our country, but not really a deep, meaningful way of how are we preparing these young people to navigate communities and the world, which is quickly changing. Mm -hmm. Um, You think about how much has changed in the last four years since the pandemic which is wild to me right like i just had a big milestone wedding anniversary and we we celebrate celebrate it you know in 2020 and two weeks later everything shut down wow yeah and we haven't had a big celebration like 75 people in our home since then yeah and that is just a small thing right but now we have the increasing access to artificial intelligence to be leveraged to make our lives more productive and efficient and give us insights to very complex you know, data and information in a way that should make our decision making more impactful and strategic. But how does that connect to social studies and how are we thinking about that? So I also think about what do we need to do for the future, like the historical pieces, you know, like how do we get out of the old school? Like we have to learn these, you know, facts and things, but to um, really understanding how to be a good citizen of the world, you know, and I use citizen of like, we all are citizens. We all contribute to our communities, regardless of our status in this country. And there's so much good that comes out of understanding your own efficacy as an individual and then how to engage with your community and the greater world on how to, you know, make our world a better place. I mean, that's what I'm here for. This is what I'm, this is what I learned in high school. You know, I was part of our honor society. It wasn't even an honor society. It was like a community service society. You had to have good behavior mm-hmm. and you had to, you had to commit to community service hours in your school and in your community. So we were doing blood drives, we were doing food drives. And while those things are very basic and, you know, needed it taught me the importance of coming together with a community to contribute to to problems that exist and i think you know that's the value of social studies um both historically and in the future is teaching those young people our young people those skills so that they can deal with the increasing complex problems of our society yeah you know in in everything you said I just like I I heard, you know, historically, social studies, the measure of success in social studies has been something that's surface level, right? Like understanding the nation's history, um, knowing how the system of government works. Um, And you and I know that like the benefits of social studies is so much deeper that if we are engaging in multiple perspectives of the past and understanding that it's not just this, you know, arc of facts that build off one another, but there's nuance, there's complexity, there's tension. Uh, You know, history reads better than any novel that could ever be put together. And if we're only teaching it for the benefit of these surface level aspects, we miss all of that. And there's so much richness that students can, can gain in, in studying the discipline rather than, you know, retaining the content. Absolutely. Um, 
And I have to say this because of our focus at the Social Studies Accelerator is making sure that there's diverse perspectives included in social studies. And historically, that has not been the case. So, you know, as a student, I remember seeing maybe a paragraph on the civil rights movement, um, maybe a sentence or two on slavery, and definitely not really understanding the complexity of our heritage as Americans, right? And it is a very powerful story that we have when you hear it from the different perspectives. Because I will tell you, the most transformational experience I had was going to the Whitney Plantation. Have you been to the mm. Whitney Plantation? No, I've been to others, okay. but not the Whitney. You have to go there because it is the only plantation that includes the narratives directly from the slaves themselves. Mm -hmm. And so um, this was the Federal um, Progress Act. Um, African-American writers took it upon themselves to go and interview living slaves. They were yeah. in the 90s and 100s, and they captured their stories. So when you go on this tour, you hear the stories directly from the, the slaves' perspectives. And as an African-American, I realized there was joy there. There yeah. was innovation. There was, um, you know skills and a lot that was brought here from the continent of Africa mm -hmm. as a result of that, that we don't learn about, that is not taught in our schools, and that you really just think about slavery as like workforce. Like we have yeah, people come the and economic, work. Yeah. The economic versus the cultural influence right. and the actual ability to make this country what it is because of the skills and the the genius that many of these individuals brought um, to to raise crops, to take care of animals, to, to cook food. And so that's why I think, you know, the power of including diverse narratives and perspectives in history gives a more robust and rich history of our country in a way that we haven't done traditionally. So that's the part where when I think about the history of history or teaching social studies is yeah. like you you learn these things and it's not it doesn't make people feel bad it doesn't it doesn't it actually right, yeah, yeah. people have a better understanding of our history's impact on today and how we protect and preserve our history in a way that honors the contributions of all that make up our great nation right yeah yeah i know and if anyone listening hasn't you know, read or listened to the WPA narratives. Uh, mm. Those are so impactful. My, I mean, some of my favorite moments were, you know, as we walk, walked through the history of American slavery in my own classroom, you know, with eighth graders, um, and we would listen to some of these narratives and we'd listen to some of them interviews, but some of them, you know, the interviewer would say, hey, like, would you mind singing one of the songs that you sang yes. while enslaved? And so the whole class, right, would be listening to this beautiful hymn or song that someone would sing while working. Um, and I mean, the classroom is filled with with chills and, you know, in some depending on what class period, tears and uh, the, just the beauty and humanity that was captured it, it, it's priceless um and and that piece to your point like the the diversity of human experiences must be captured in the story of the past if we're going to be accurate right if we are if we are going to use social studies which is inherently a human centered discipline Yes, we have to mean humans, right? Like, right. So that if we're not incorporating these these levels 
of you know social status, um, racial diversity, religious diversity, ethnic background, then we're we're actually we're doing a disservice in painting a picture of story of humans, right? If we only focus on the overtly political or those in power, the presidents, um, there's just a whole scope of the story that we never get to interact with. And that, and as you keep saying, like, that's, what's going to make us better people. That's, what's going to build our empathetic muscles. That's, what's going to challenge us to be examples in our community and serve others. Um, yeah, we have to focus. We have to bring it to the forefront. We do. So moving forward, Andrea, what, yes. what what do you see that we can do um, as a collaborative to strengthen and sustain social studies education? Well, I think the number one thing is supporting teachers and giving them what they need. And I mean, I saw that clear in the white paper. There's an opportunity to address that. We're in the process of developing a school system leadership learning lab. And, you know, I want to incorporate this white paper and the findings as part of the planning process so that we're helping social study leaders understand where the pain points are for teachers and where they might be able to provide support. Um, at the end of the day, this is why teachers are flooding the, the or I should say leaving the classroom, right? Because they don't feel supported. They don't feel like the job is manageable. And I think, you know, as a solution provider, you know, Think Nation um, and, you know, uh, Social Studies Accelerator, we have to put the teachers at the forefront of providing them what they need to be effective and give students the best educational experience possible um, in social studies. Um, and there's a lot of social studies that's missed at elementary school level because, you know, 20 minutes a week is often what is allocated. And so how do we work with school systems um, to better think about the interdisciplinary approach of um, the elementary school um, curriculum and how much more social studies can benefit, particularly when you think about those key foundational skills students need to build in elementary around community, belonging, you know, the social emotional learning that also has been getting some blowback, but it, we know it's important because kids need to be able to regulate themselves. They need to be able to navigate and stay out of conflict um, in a way. And, you know, to me, the data is there. Bullying hasn't decreased, right? Students with um, anxiety and other kind of mental health issues that are impacted by the school experience has not decreased. If anything, it's increased. So I, I believe that um, social studies can play a critical role in helping address that by really helping students understand not only who they are, but who we are as a country. And I think you said this, you know, building that empathetic muscle um, so that they can solve problems together. Yeah, I mean, there it's such a rich resource. I think the task is how do we tap into it. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I am always rejuvenated in conversations with people like yourself who are thinking so strategically about how we can do that. So I really yeah. appreciate your time. Um, Andrea Foggy Paxton, thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Zach, for having me.